Welcome to the Gaggle Podcast, where we bring you inside the newsroom to talk Arizona politics beyond what's in print. I'm Yvonne Winget Sanchez, the Governor's Office and State Politics Reporter at the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. Joining me this week at our Arizona Capitol Bureau are... Hi, I'm Ryan Randazzo, a business reporter. I'm Craig Harris, an investigative reporter. Dustin Gardner, I cover the state legislature. This week on The Gaggle, should blow-drying someone's hair require 1,000 hours of training? Spoiler alert, I'd say yes if we were only talking about taming mine. Maybe not so much if we were talking about Craig's. Why is the state paying $1 million more for PR pay under Governor Doug Ducey? And what's up with that new English-only insurance bill? The new campaign finance reports are in. What do they tell us about the 2018 governor's election, other than Ducey's destroying his Democratic rivals? We'll discuss. But first, we start with the Arizona cosmetologists. They're up in arms, and there are a lot of them, about 100,000. Ryan, you've spent a lot of time talking to them over the past couple of weeks. Why are they so fired up? Well, Governor Ducey, in his State of the State speech, mentioned uh, his desire to partially deregulate blow-dry bars. He said uh, Representative Michelle Ugenti-Rita from Scottsdale would introduce a bill, which she has done. And a lot of the folks who have gone to cosmetology school and cut hair for a living are sort of offended at the way the governor portrayed their industry and uh, what they saw as like a frivolous treatment of their education on how they prevent uh, infection from spreading among their customers. Representative Eugenti Rita told the Arizona Capital Times that she brought this bill forward after talking to lobbyists for the dry bar. These are blowout bars are kind of standalone salons. They don't cut hair. They don't um, dye your hair or do any sort of, um, you know, treatments on your, on your head. Uh, right. I mean, they're just, they, they simply style your hair. Right. Dry bar, uh, in particular is a California company. It launched in Los Angeles about a decade ago. They've got more than 70 locations around the country. They've got three in Arizona. We've also got other companies in Arizona that do the same thing. You go in, you pay about 30, 40 bucks for a shampoo, uh, scalp massage, and then they brush, blow dry, maybe even curl your hair, but they do not cut. They do not use any chemicals. And so, I mean, 1,000 hours probably does sound like a lot for people who aren't familiar with the industry. Cosmetologists clearly are. So, you know, why are they so upset about this? Well, a uh, significant portion of their training is in how to identify scalp conditions, particularly things that can spread from one person to another, and how to sanitize your equipment, everything from your brushes to your uh, your capes that you put on customers, um, to the like the, the wash basins, so that if someone comes in with an infectious disease or lice, that you don't pass that along to the next 20 people who come and sit in your chair. Do you expect them to make a lot of noise as this bill winds its way through the, the legislative process? They're already making quite a bit of noise. I mean, they were offended at the way the governor portrayed them. Um, they feel that this is uh, one constituent went to uh, Ugenti Rita with a complaint. Um, they don't feel like anyone reached out to them to ask uh, how they felt about about the measure. Uh, all of them that I've spoken to said they wouldn't hire somebody even to do blowouts if they didn't have a cosmetology license because it's too big of a risk to their customers and in turn too big of a risk to their business if they um, infect somebody. During his State of the State, Ducey called the cosmetology uh, board bullies for taking in a complaint against a, a guy from Tucson who was cutting uh, homeless people's hair for free. Uh, he said that board members sought to stop him and stall his career because he hadn't kissed their ring. Um, the bully line really caught a lot of people's attention. Yeah, the bully line and the kissing the ring line. I mean, in that instance, you had a guy who was not licensed, so presumably had not gone through the full training. He was using his equipment on homeless people, and that's sort of exactly what the cosmetology board is out to prevent, you know, from um, 
passing along infections from person to person. And so they gave the guy a warning. Uh, Ducey uh, made a big issue out of it um, and uh, tried to intervene on behalf of the guy who was giving haircuts. And uh, I think if he really believes in his heart that this industry doesn't require any type of education, it'd be a great photo op for the governor to go get his haircut by that guy using the equipment he used on the homeless folks down in Tucson. Well, we hope they let us know if they do that because we would like video too. Um, occupational licensing has also been a, a big theme of the governor's. It's a it's a big uh, theme with special interest groups, the social social policy network, the Koch brother uh, network, people who believe in this free market, free enterprise uh, agenda. Do you think they underestimated the blowback that they would get on on this bill? They uh, they either underestimated uh, how the cosmetologists um, who have gone through school would react to this, or they um, took their PR staff aside and did a calculation and and figured that the hundred thousand cosmetologists are not a reliable block of Republican voters. The state probably needs a few more PR specialists to handle you, at least last week. You wrote a story that found taxpayers are spending about a million dollars more on public information officers under Governor Doug Ducey when compared to his predecessor, Governor Jan Brewer. This against the backdrop of the governor's pledge to actually shrink government. What did your reporting find? Well, we found that uh, under the governor during uh, his time that he has increased uh, the number of PR folks by about 11 or so. And the cost of that has increased about a million dollars compared to the last year of the Brewer administration. Um, and that comes against the backdrop that the governor has laid off or gotten rid of, you know, a few thousand state employees by following through on his pledge to shrink and cut government. So on one hand, the governor has kept his promise. He's done exactly what he said he was going to do. He has cut government. Um, but at the same time, he has increased the pay significantly of his uh, top two spokesmen. And uh, he has also increased the pay and increased the number of those folks who are basically advocating his message at state agencies. What did the pay tell you about where the governor's priorities may lie? Well, I think what it shows is that you know, he takes care of the people who are very close to him. He significantly increased the salaries of his top spokesman. Uh, Daniel Scarpadano makes about $160,000 a year. Um, the two spokespeople for the governor uh, make about uh, 30% more than what the predecessor what they, the predecessors did with the with the uh, Brewer administration, and the criticism was, well, it kind of shows where the governor's priorities are. He's more than willing to pay top dollar for his spokesman. He's more than willing to pay top dollar to have folks at the different agencies to get his message out. But when it comes time for teachers or it comes time for social workers, um, the money is a very, very small amount for the amount of increases that those folks have received. And that is the criticism um, that he received on, on this story. What was the reaction to the reporting? Well, it was mixed. I mean, there was a sense of blowback, especially by the people I wrote about, uh, criticizing the story about how I don't understand how tough their job is and that, you know, they spend so much time having to deal with public records requests from folks like myself or you or other reporters at the Arizona Republic or even other publications. And what they seem to miss on that is that that's their job. Their job is to respond to public records requests and provide documents to the public. And the criticism and argument that I've had is there seems to be two sets of standards when it comes to public information officers working in the Ducey administration. 
If we file a public records request, we will wait weeks or even months to get basic information or basic records. But if the state Republican Party puts in a request, they get their documents in four hours and they'll do the math and compilation at the Department of Administration to show the kind of um, information they want. So there's clearly two standards that exist with the Ducey administration when it comes to his PR staff. Uh, when dealing with the media and dealing with folks that uh, you know may not be aligned with him, they have to wait months on end to get their records, while those who are close to him or insiders can get special rush treatment and get their records in an amount of hours. His Democratic rivals also uh, jumped on this story as well. Senator uh, Steve Farley, Democrat from Tucson, uh, accused Ducey of using taxpayer funds um, to, quote, help spin his hollow efforts to fix Arizona's schools. Uh, I expect we'll hear more about this from from them down the road. You listed the individual salaries of some of the PIOs. Uh, I expect that was probably uncomfortable maybe for them, but revealing in terms of trying to figure out, again, where the governor's priorities lie. What did you what did you hear uh, in, in terms of that piece of your reporting? Well, we got a bit of blowback on that, too. Just kind of, you know, no one likes to have their salaries published, and I get that, but that's kind of part of the, the situation. If you work for the government, it's a public record. Um, the criticism was, well, why didn't you look at the salaries of the city or the county, which the state folks argue uh, are paid more uh, than they are? Well, you know, that might be a fair argument, but the fact of the matter is, is that the governor has done a very good job of bringing the pay of public information officers in line with their counterparts to put them in market. And the average pay for a public information officer in the Ducey administration is over $70,000 a year. The average pay for most teachers is right around $40,000 a year, and social workers are making thirty-five dollars to $40,000 a year. So, you know, the folks who have complained to me that I, because I publish their salaries, I don't think teachers or social workers who got about a $1 a day raise are going to be so concerned um, when they're making well over $70,000 a year as an average salary. Justin, you had an interesting legislative story this week. Non-English speakers who buy auto or home insurance in Arizona could soon be bound to a version of the con- of a contract that they cannot read. What's the point of this legislation? Yeah, so this bill, um, you know, it gets sort of in the weeds here, but basically what the bill says is that if a contract is translated into another language other than English, um, that, that that is not the binding version of that contract for an insurance policy. The binding controlling legal version is the version in English. Um, this has raised a lot of concerns for immigrant activists who feel like this is sort of exposing you know, non-English speakers to potential fraud because they would be reading a contract, but the version they read could be different than the English version, and they would have you know no you know, they wouldn't have legal recourse in the sense that the contract that is legally binding is not the one in their language. And Republican Representative um, David Livingston, who is now the House of Probes chair, he he argues that this isn't about discrimination or ethnicity or race. What what does he, what does he say is motivating this? Yeah. So um, when this was in committee this week, he you know pushed back very hard against the suggestion that this is somehow racially motivated. He said that the intent of this bill is to actually encourage insurance companies to offer more services um, in in languages other than English. And he said 
that that would occur because insurance companies would have um, more incentive to do it because there would be a layer of legal protection if there's some sort of discrepancy between the English version and the non-English version of their contracts. Um, but Democrats and activists for the Im- immigrant community obviously feel very strongly uh, that it that it would tar- make people vulnerable and target certain communities. Do you have a sense of what the political potential political implications of this could be? I mean. This sounds a lot like the, you know, the days from not too long ago when we were talking about English only in schools and um, like other state material. Does it have that kind of, uh, could it have that kind of impact? Yeah, we'll see. This, you know, word hasn't gotten around about this bill very much at this point. Um, It came up this week and, you know, there were immigrant activists opposing it, but we haven't seen a lot of attention more broadly on it yet. Um, But it's interesting because this is the first bill this session where it kind of uh, is coming in that vein of an English-only effort. Um, So we'll see if that plays out and if if there's national and statewide attention to that concern. Um, You know, we've seen in the legislature that um, that the speaker, especially J.D. Mesnard um, and leadership, has tried to avoid those sort of um, battles that could be seen as... um, racially motivated. Yvonne, you've got an interesting story about campaign uh, fundraising. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, uh, the the new campaign finance reports are in, and as expected, Governor Doug Ducey raised fistfuls of cash, about $2.8 million during this reporting cycle. He left his rivals, Democratic Senator uh, Farley, Steve Farley, and Democratic ASU Professor David Garcia, in the dust. And they have long said that they would not be able to compete with um, his, you know, uh, his donor base, which are lar- largely comprised of business owners, business executives, um, probably more affluent folks. Um, but uh, they they still seem to think that they will be able to compete. They uh, Farley specifically thinks that he has good uh, messaging that will resonate with people, that he will be able to show uh, Democratic primary voters that he has the experience to um uh, run the government from the top, that he understands the inner working, kind of the bowels of state government, and he will have a message that will carry him through his fundraising challenges. Um, David Garcia has less than $100,000 on hand. That's a number that surprised many people who I think expected maybe eight to 10 times that amount. Uh, he, again, seems to think that he will be able to pull off some sort of successful effort with his uh, populist message that sounds a lot like Bernie Sanders. So even if he's a lost cause, doesn't it help the Democrats to have a primary and have him stay in the race? Some would say that it would help uh, them to stay in the race, but then you start looking at the money. I mean, you're going to have to spend money on that primary, and what are you going to have left at the end of it? And the late primary date, I think it's August 28th, leaves you with about five weeks before the general election. And Governor Ducey really won't have to go up on the air until after that primary. So he's going to have loads of money to spend. Well, Vaughn, in addition to what you saw in the uh, public files about how much the governor has a huge advantage over his two Democratic rivals, doesn't he have a lot of other outside help that will help him? Yeah, I mean, already some of his allies are funding 
a a campaign and a, a PR blitz to try to uh, sway public opinion or gauge public opinion on on uh, public education. This obviously is an issue that the governor is is vulnerable on. Um, and so some of his friends formed a 501c3. This is a, uh, a public education effort. It's called the Arizona Education Project. It's funded by um, uh, utility company, Chamber of Commerces, and it's intended to uh, push out the good stories that are happening about public education uh, under Doug Ducey. And uh, we'll see how long the campaign will last. It uh, is a six-figure buy just its first week. And if you talk to people who know how to message uh, issues, it'll probably be in the millions by, by the time this thing is over and it may last through the legislative session and straight on into the 2018 election. For our final segment, uh, Ryan, what are you watching for this week? I'm going to watch uh, the Corporation Commission. They set rates for utility companies. They approved a big rate hike for Arizona Public Service in August, and uh, there's a citizen's petition that has led to a uh, potential rehearing of that rate hike. So I'm going to look for any developments in that issue. Craig? I'm going to be looking at the Department of Revenue and uh, whether they're on, a, they're on a hiring binge right now to get back some of those auditors they laid off a year or so ago and what the effect that has had to the state general budget. And Dustin? I'm still following the sexual harassment investigation in the state house. Um, it sounds like we might finally, finally have that report. Uh, well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening to the Gaggle podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Yvonne Winget. Uh, you can find me at Utility Reporter. This is Craig Harris. You can find me at C. Harris, AZ Rep. Dustin Gardner, and that's G-A-R-D-I-N-E-R. Thanks to the politics team and also our producers, Haley Sanchez and Carly Henry. Please subscribe to the show and review it on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or Google Play. See you next week.